Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu flings it back! I'm, I've got a problem with soccer to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. What's up, everyone? Welcome to House of Champions. I'm your host, James Benj. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you are looking forward to the final knockings of what has been a thrilling European season. And we're right on the cusp of the big ones, the big European finals, starting with the Europa League. I am joined by Mike Lahoud and Jonathan Johnson to break it all down. Please download, follow, share, leave us a five-star review. Keep in touch. Tell your friends about House of Champions. We love bringing you the best action across Europe and beyond. And we will be going long, long, long after this season finishes. And God, Mike Lahoud, it has felt like a long one, hasn't it? But the end (laughs) is in sight. Yeah, I mean, we came off doing the World Cup coverage, went right into the festive season in English football, came out of the new year to pick up with the rest of Europe. And now we're being rewarded with finals across the continent. And it starts with the Europa League final. JJ, I mean... You have got to be uh, looking at this final. I mean, obviously, no, not this final. Uh, you should be so lucky. But European <laughs> finals thinking, oh, Aston Villa and one of them. That's not happened since before you were born, is it? It hasn't, but who knows what the future might hold now. Unai Emery's got us over the line. Conference League, here we come. And uh, who knows, maybe we might even get Asensio trotting around on the Villa Park pitch Ooh, next season. It's all steady. getting pretty exciting. The season's only a, a, only a couple of days done. And suddenly, uh, you know, Villa fans are in... Uh, in, on cloud nine with all of this uh, speculation. Old, expensive, not necessarily what they need. It's good to see Aston Villa are sticking to their usual plans in the transfer market. We could talk about that for days on end, but let's talk about the big one. The best competition there is or ever will be the Europa League. I hope you're hearing the, the strains of the anthem in your head as we talk through this. I don't know, producer Des, maybe you could put it on at the sort of lowest level at three decibels under, and maybe when Mike Lahoud is soaring in his analysis, the Hancock theme tune will will soar with him. Um, we have the Europa League final, Sevilla against Roma, pure Europa League heritage, Jose Mourinho on one corner, the ultimate Europa League team. I mean, I'm firmly of the view that this competition needs to be renamed Unai Emery Presents the Sevilla experience. <laughs> that is the appropriate title for this competition that Sevilla have won more than any other club having not won it, I think, until the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Someone correct me if I'm wrong yeah. there. Um, if, if this if is if, their they do, if they do it, it's seven of the last 18, I think. That's ridiculous. incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> um, before we go any further, I'll just give you a little bit of a of the team news update and then I'm going to get the guys to talk yeah. you through how we've ended up here. But the big stuff 
is on the AS Roma front, two key players who back in training and, and looking like they might be involved again. Leonardo Spinazzola, fantastic left back. We saw him set Europe alight at Euro 2020. And of course, Paolo Dybala. They're back in training. And I think that may be the last we hear for a while. Jose Mourinho has got the his squad in lockdown. We're going to hear nothing from them. He has this immaculate record in European finals that he's looking to pre- uh, protect and extend. I would also point out that if he does win, he will for a few days at least be ahead of Pep Guardiola in terms of European trophies won. We are going to talk about Roma. We're going to hear from Tammy Abraham about Roma as well. But first of all, uh, Mike LaHood, talk us through how severe have got here because three managers fighting against relegation in La Liga. If ever there was a year where they would, I mean, they didn't even start in the Europa League. If ever there was a year where they wouldn't end up in the Europa League final, it was this one. So, of course, they are in the Europa League final. When the season started, I mean, Jolin Lopetegui, who's currently the Wolves manager, was in charge, couldn't get it done. They looked a stale project. Too many old heads, a lot of experience in this Sevilla side. They've lost a lot of players over the last couple of seasons since they last won this tournament. And they come into this season starting uber slow. They, they get knocked down to the Europa League. And what wasn't happening in their league form ends up happening through the Europa League. And you see that time and time again in different European leagues where Europe can be the spark to give you life that you can maybe use as a trampoline where it flips around where now your league form is what's propelling you to get it done in Europe. This isn't going to be the sexiest Sevilla side that's outscoring teams left and right. They are a unified front, and they've really picked it up in the knockout stages. I think of players like Eric Lamella, who, James, you'll be familiar with for a certain Tottenham Hotspur (laughs) side, now applying his trade in Southern Spain and looking very good. Yusuf El Nasiri, Moroccan hero from the World Cup, doing it in the knockout stages. I mean, they are really getting hot at the right time. I mean, they didn't just do it in the knockout stages, did they, Mike? They did it against your beloved Manchester United. Yeah, I'm coming back to, to knock them I, I was, out. I think we'll you, you've been dancing around <laughs> this topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Of course I'm not going to talk about it. We gave them the game. David De Gea, the David De Gea conspiracy. Look at the teams that they've they've beaten along the way. I think they beat Fenerbahce, they beat United, they beat Juventus, and now they have a chance to play against AS Roma for an unprecedented title. It would be their seventh title if they win this and just puts them in elite company with European clubs. Question for you guys. And we'll probably get to uh, this. Uh, 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 no, oh, no, come on, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to change. The topic. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you again, Mike, when, when you, when Manchester United were two nil up inside 21 yeah. minutes at old Trafford, could you ever have imagined you'd end up losing 5-2 on aggregate in one of the most humiliating uh, European exits Manchester United have had in the last three years, I guess? It's quite a lot I, of them. I thought we were talking about Sevilla, not United. But now that oh, we're going to put United uh, in the... Okay, okay. Well, to hit on that, absolutely not. I, I did not see the game going on its head. I think the game that tilted towards Sevilla's side, and we've seen it time and time again through the knockout stages, they rely on their bench. Players come off the bench and change games for them. And Eric Ten Hag got it absolutely wrong. 2-0 is the most dangerous lead. And in that first leg, if you keep your players on the pitch much longer, then maybe you get out of there 2-0 and you give yourself a much healthier chance. Sevilla have been very good at home. I think that's what both teams have in their back pocket. They've been very, very good at home. They've won all their home matches in the knockout round to get to this final. And they're excellent man managers of 
throughout the 90 minutes or even if it has to get to extra time. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's uh, really curious when you chart how both teams have made their way uh, to the final is, you know, that both did lose uh, sort of en route as well. You had Sevilla winning one of their games against PSV, losing the other one. They also lost uh, against Fenerbahce as well. Uh, but it's, you know, for me, when I look at this Roma, this Roma route now switching it to the Italians, you've got them starting off in the worst possible form, losing to Red Bulls Augsburg. Because let's not forget, both teams started off, uh, well, in the latter stages of the Europa League. They started off in the knockout round because obviously Sevilla dropped down from the Champions League. Roma only finished second in their group behind Real Betis. So they got Salzburg, then they went on to Sociedad, Feyenoord. Uh, and then in that semi-final, it was Bayer Leverkusen. So it's been, you know, quite a testing route for for both of these teams on their on their way to the final. And I think, you know, Mourinho's time with Roma can actually sort of be viewed sort of through the prism of UEFA competition where you've had them in the Europa Conference League, which obviously they won. Uh, and now he's looking to sort of lead them up that UEFA ladder. I mean, it's a perfect advert for the way that the UEFA competitions have been, uh, you know, structured with the, the Conference League being added in. That's that, that is how sort of, the, you know, the, the use of that ladder system was envisaged to have a club that could potentially work their way up from the Conference League to the Europa League to the Champions League while not necessarily relying on their league form. So, you know, Roma very much uh, sort of now playing, uh, you know, with the, you know, the fate of their season uh, over this next 90 minutes or so, because you've got Mourinho who could potentially leave Roma, because let's face it, there is a lot of speculation that this might be one of his final games. It's also come at a very bizarre time, I might add, because, you know, Roma will play this final, which is normally the final game of a season, but then they've also got to go back into Serie A action as well. I do believe that the worst case scenario for them in terms of a league finish is a conference uh, league position. Mm. But if they win this one, obviously, uh, you know, they'll be in the Champions League next season. So that would be a phenomenal legacy for, for Mourinho to leave. But, you know, I think both teams have certainly had to work hard um, and reach the final, arguably against the odds uh, at certain points. I certainly agree with you that it was against the odds. And if we look at that, and you know, you highlighted it there, JJ, this has been a hellacious path to the final for Roma. And the way in which they have navigated it is is pure Mourinho. I mean, running through the round of 16, Real Sociedad, first leg, 2-0 win at home, fighting. Go to, go, go to San Sebastian, draw 0-0. Slight upset yeah we all know that Feyenoord who are super motivated obviously by their defeat in the conference league they thought they got a bit of payback on Mourinho with a 1-0 win in the first leg and he responded probably for the only time in the uh, in the last stages of this competition by sending out a team that absolutely destroyed the opposition 4-1 winners and then I mean to me I I watched the first leg in particular of the the Leverkusen tie and I spent a long time on this podcast and elsewhere talking up the attacking riches that Leverkusen had. And I maintain I was right in that regard. But this was pure, undiluted, magnificent Mourinho as they just scored that goal in the second half. Held the back door under lock and key. Didn't really give Leverkusen much of a chance and, and drove the opposition mad. I mean, Mike, I don't want to go too much into Mourinho or the game. We're going to talk about, you know, maybe the key matchups in the second half. But... What do you think this this run through tough teams at a higher, let's be frank, a higher level than the Conference League, what has it done for Mourinho's standing within the game? 
I think it's elevated it that much more. There was question marks when he came into Roma. Everyone knows his pedigree, what he's done. He's gone just about everywhere and won. And I think he would have had a great chance to win at Tottenham Hotspur had he had the chance to get that final experience in England. But he's galvanized a city. He's galvanized one half of Rome to believe again. This is Roma's side that hasn't tasted success in, in really almost decades since what? Was it Spalletti the last time they had a successful run? Coppa Italia and under the likes of Francesco. And even then, that was a team that didn't didn't win a lot of trophies. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're going talking Serie A, you're going all the way back to, to Capello at the turn of the century. Yeah, and immediately what he did, and I think it's why Italy suits him so well, he captures the hearts of the fans. He, he's a showman. And when he captures the hearts of the fans, then he captures the hearts of the players. And this season, he knew if he was going to compete at this extra level, this isn't the Conference League, this is Europa League, you have to get an extra star. And he brought in Paulo Dybala. Dybala, he's been talismanic. He hasn't even started most of the games in this knockout round through injury, through fatigue. But he believes in this plan, and he's getting the most out of the Argentine playmaker when this team needs him most. JJ, obviously... The first European final, the one thing that all these finals have in common is the presence of an Italian team, Roma, in the in the uh, Europa League, Fiorentina in the Conference League against West Ham, and then, of course, Inter Milan, Mike Lahoud's Inter Milan, I believe we have to refer to them as, uh, in the Champions League final. Out of those three, which do you see taking home a trophy? And is this telling us anything about Italian football? Is it just a coincidence or... You know, is Serie A on the comeback trail? I mean, I think they're they're all good questions. I mean, if I had to put my money on one team to to come away with the title, I think it has to be Roma. I know that's quite risky given who they're up against in Sevilla and sort of that proprietary status they enjoy over the Europa League. But I really find it difficult to see Fiorentina beating West Ham uh, or, or Inter beating City. Mm. Uh, I think I'd probably go for Fiorentina before I go for Inter, but uh, you know I don't, I don't want come to risk on, incurring the wrath of uh, of Mike Lahoud. But no, I mean in terms of having an Italian club in uh, in each final, obviously it's fantastic for for Serie A, which you can tune into on Paramount Plus every weekend. Good plugging, but it's yeah. thank you. And uh, it's I, I mean I want to say that it's sort of the the beginning of a comeback uh, on the on the biggest stage. Only time will tell if that's the the correct opinion or not. But I do believe that it has done a lot of good for the Italian game. Uh, and it's something to try and build with, uh, you know, moving forward. It now sort of gives them daylight uh, between themselves and some of the other leagues uh, that have started to, to sort of creep up a bit further behind in terms of the coefficients. Uh, and, you know, I do think that, you know, with some investments into, uh, you know, the right players, some of those teams could be competitive moving forward as well. Whether or not we'll, we'll see again uh, another year where you've got an Italian team in each final I think that comes around extremely rarely so you know make the most of it while it's here but you know an Italian team making one or maybe two of the finals in the next couple of years I wouldn't completely rule it out. Uh, interesting comment from Rocco Sage. Syria cannot compete financially, but the quality of the football definitely returning to old glory. I agree with the second half of that. I think there might be an upturn in financial prowess for Syria, given the money at stake. If some of these teams are in the final win, the Premier League is the cash cow at the end of the day. You obviously have PSG, but 
what has what has really been the biggest part of the renaissance, as I've said time and time again, that we're seeing this year is the investment from foreign players and really the scouting. I mean, look at a club like Napoli. Some of the players that they recruited to come in was not on many people's radar. Cavada Scalia. If you would have told me Cavada Scalia would be one of the best players in Serie A this season, I would have said you're absolutely crazy. Victor Osimhen. And we're just talking about one club. But I look like I look at at, at, at Milan players like Rafa Leal. I look at Inter as well. A bit more experienced heads, and they've done well to retain talent in this pool of teams. And if you ask me about those three finals, James. I know that I've said the craziest thing. I'm sticking by it. Obviously, Roma, I agree with you, JJ, that Roma do have the best chance. I'm going Inter still at number two, man. You guys are going to call me crazy. You're laughing. You are crazy. I know, man. This isn't even coffee. That's why I'm drinking it. Enter at two, and I go Fiorentina three. I don't really know how to follow that, so I'm going to let the, the our viewers do so instead. Rocco say, Shady, I cannot compete financially, as you said there. I mean, but the quality of their football definitely returning to old glory. I would maybe question that. You know, I don't particularly enjoy watching Serie A whenever it's on, on Paramount+. Plus. I could be wrong there, but Ed there, good comment as well. Italian clubs have been to 28 European finals. Only Spanish teams have gotten to more. But I think I probably fall down on the side of what Matt Osmond's saying. One-off Italian teams won't be in the top two finals next season. Let's be clear, always the joy of Serie A, the one thing that actually does make it incredibly invigorating to follow. Maybe even if the games aren't as high quality as the Premier League, as the best of La Liga, is that you go into any season, especially in this post-Juventus era, not really knowing who's going to win the title. I don't think you can say that for any of the other top four European leagues. Obviously, Real Madrid and Barcelona, you take your pick in La Liga, but in Serie A, there's six winners, potential winners every season, maybe at the very least. We've seen the emergence of clubs like Atalanta. I think what you have in Serie A is a depth of good teams, but maybe not that many great teams. Obviously, Napoli in another year, who knows where they might have been. Um, the, the, I, I think there will always be Italian teams that are there or thereabouts. We'll have them in the quarterfinals and sometimes the draws will break really favourably like they did for Inter Milan in the uh, Champions League this season. As for, from my perspective, how many win? Uh, I'm with JJ here. I make Roma the favourites. I think they're probably the only one that will win. I could see Fiorentina beating West Ham, but like West Ham are on a heater of late and actually look really good when I saw them even in defeat to Leicester on uh, Sunday. Um, Inter Milan have the level of chance that any football team has when they turn up to a football match. Like they could win, but I don't think so. But anyway, that's for that's for future pods. We will be talking about the Champions League final. Don't you doubt on it. But after the break, we're going to dive a little bit more into this game, look at some key matchups and try and decide who has more European juice, Jose Mourinho or Super Sevilla. That's right after the break. It's back Due to popular demand, UEFA are giving you a final chance to win your limited edition UCL Elite Foot 23 kit. Winners will also receive a digital copy of the FIFA 23 video game. Time is running out, so make sure to enter now at uefa.com slash elite. And remember, for the YouTube audience right up there in that top right-hand corner, you can just click on the QR code or take a photo or however those QR codes work and get yourself straight to the competition to enter right Jose Mourinho, 20 years on from European final number one, 
It's number six, Jonathan Johnson. I'll run through those for you and our listeners to remind you where we got to. 2002, 2003, breaking Scottish hearts, beating Celtic 3-2 with Porto in the UEFA Cup. A year later, he goes and does the magical, magical run to the Champions League final, winning it with Porto. Probably the last great shock Champions League winners, 3-0 against Monaco. Six years later, he's back in that final with Inter Milan, beats Bayern Munich 2-0. 2016-17, Mike Lahoud. What happened in 2016-17? Ah, European glory. Mourinho strikes again with Manchester United, 2-0 against Ajax. And then to become the first manager to win the treble of the Champions League, the Europa League, and the big one, the Conference League, that 1-0 victory over Feyenoord last season. JJ, when we go through those games, anything that particularly strikes you about why it might be that Mourinho has this phenomenal 100% record in European finals? I mean, when you when you look at them, uh, you know, not that many are uh, too high scoring. Certainly, there's a major emphasis on defence when you look at the fact that there have been four clean sheets for his team. I mean, I think we all can sort of cast our minds back to, uh, you know, some of those finals, some of the pivotal moments. But it seems like, you know, in that very first final, Porto beating Celtic, you know, Mourinho really learned that the, the key to all of this, the secret was, you know, absolutely locking down that defence. I and mean, it's like it's like you said, sort of on Roma's route, uh, you know, to this final, uh, you know, they've shown some fantastic rearguard performances, uh, you know, and that at the end of the day is the the crux of, uh, of Mourinho's success, because if your team doesn't concede, then you have a better chance of winning, you know, as long as you can do it at the other end. Only thing that I would say is that, you know, this Roma side seemed less prolific than some of the other the teams he's coached in the past. That Porto side certainly had more goals in it, uh, you know, Inter and, and United as well. You feel like if Roma are to do this against Sevilla, it's going to be more similar to the the victory that they had in the Europa Conference League last season. Uh, you know, by a goal, uh, you know, quite tense at times, very tight. Uh, you know, I can't. I certainly can't see them. You know, running out. Uh, you know, three 0 winners like they did against Monaco back in two thousand and three four. But um, no, it's uh, it, it's <laughs> it's not necessarily going to be one for the neutrals, but. <laughs> You know, I'd be lying. I'd be lying if we said that we were Batman tuning life. in. I, I'd be, I, no, no, but but I'd be lying if I said that we were tuning in only for the football that's going to be played on the pitch because Mourinho himself is going to be a spectacle during this game. Ninety minutes or however long the game turns out to be, it's going to be phenomenal entertainment. I think what I see when I look at those finals, one thing that Mourinho has been able to do. Yes, pragmatism through the knockout stages in a lot of those teams, maybe the FC or the Inter side, excuse me, were the exception. They did have to be pragmatic against Barcelona in the second leg of that treble run with Inter. But he has the ability to unlock some of his most gifted players in finals who may have been struggling up until that point. And I think of what he did last year with Zaniolo. Zaniolo had injury problems, but he delivered in the finals because set pieces are a major factor in those finals. When you look at his teams, he has a set piece marksman and a playmaker Pellegrini. He will be a key player. As we talk about key matchups, which we'll get into shortly. He is one player I'm keeping an eye on. Obviously what he does with Paulo Dybala, Roma have match winners in their side. They have no problem making it ugly and sitting in a low block. Sevilla, they are not a first-half team in this competition. They are very much a second-half team. So if Roma can get that early goal, it favors Mourinho and his tactics in this final. 
I'd like to take you guys all back to the halcyon days of 2006. We're going to hear from Tammy Abraham very shortly, but before then, the halcyon days of 2006, Franz Ferdinand are topping the charts, probably only on one side of the Atlantic. Uh, it's a battle in the Premier League between Chelsea and Manchester United for supremacy. And a young midfielder called uh, Michael LaHood is uh, tearing it up. I think you just landed on the 2005 All-ACC freshman team, which I'm sure you know what that means. I don't. Um, The glory days of college football for Mike LaHood and the start of an unimaginable dynasty, as in Eindhoven in the Netherlands, Sevilla are crushing Middlesbrough 4-0 in the 2006. I can't remember if it was UEFA Cup or Europa League back then. Whichever it was, it was the start of something pretty special. The next year, they... Espanol. Then you have a little bit of a break. I've got, I've got this on the Wikipedia page. So if I miss <laughs> 2014, a win over Benfica. Dnipro in the following year were beaten 3 2, 3 1 over Liverpool. That was Unai Emery's treble. Hold, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Nipro's victory, though, was under Juan de Ramos, right? Was he not in charge of Sevilla for some of those correct. early victories? Uh, yes. Fact checker, fact checker. I think Unai Emery's got the tre- treble a bit later, maybe? Anyway, yeah. Uh, this is hard to keep up with. 2020 <laughs> into Milan. I remember we were all, well, a lot of us are in the CBS Sports family back then. I mean, there are some great giant killings in there. Um, Mike, where does, where does beating Roma rank along alongside them and i mean in terms of the difficulty of this game for sevilla for sevilla it would be another notch in the club's belt i think especially because they're going up against the finals talisman in jose Mourinho. fabrizio romano said it best when we had him on maybe like last week or the week before where <laughs> sevilla have a team but roma have jose Mourinho. and for sevilla fact check for you guys and little trivia if Sevilla win this title, it'd be their seventh. Only five other European clubs have more major European trophies. Can you guess who those clubs are? Real Madrid. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Real being the obvious one, I'd imagine. Uh, Milan? Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the Milan teams, at least. Okay. Is it not in Liverpool? Mm-hmm. Bayern? Yes. One more. Come on, lads. Uh, this isn't good radio if we don't, or good podcast if we don't <laughs> fill the sound. Right. I mean, it's so got to be... Oh, do you want me to give you hints no. on the country? Give us a country, yeah. All right, Spain. Oh, it must be Barcelona? Ding, 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 ding. Bank holiday thought... refreshed for James Bench. I wouldn't have thought <laughs> that Barcelona had won that yeah. many uh, you, yeah. you know you know before we move on i just wanted to throw something in now i think i maybe overplayed it in my preview piece for this but i basically pitched it as sort of the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object because jose Mourinho has never lost a continental final that he's played in but sevilla have never been runners-up when they've made the final of this competition now obviously Mourinho himself will win his sixth uh, European title if he gets Roma over the line here, Sevilla aiming for that seventh. But for me, it's I, I, th- I think there's a little more on the line for Sevilla because when you look at the league table, they're at the mercy of other results uh, on the final day if they manage to scrape into Europe, which would be a fantastic achievement for Mendilibar, who will be coaching in his first European final. But equally... Like I said before, you've got the the sort of history factor that's on Mourinho's side and how he would relish 
sort of having the spotlight on him once again and the fact that it's kind of put him back in vogue despite having, you know, sort of damaged his reputation. I'm not going to say beyond all repair, but very heavily stained his reputation towards the end in the Premier League with that awful spell with Tottenham. This has really sort of rehabilitated that. And for me, I find it just a fascinating matchup because somebody at the end of the day is going to have their history spoiled. And I think it's it's fascinating as well that that Mourinho, who we maybe would think is is past his prime, past his due date as a manager, and they, those are the questions that followed him at United and at Tottenham. He's really connected with this Roma squad, and we're going to hear from Tammy Abraham now as well, who who will say the same thing and has gone on to amazing things since making the move to link up with Mourinho in the Eternal City. So here's uh, Tammy Abraham talking about Jose Mourinho. He's the type of guy that you know knows how to to really get under you. I think he will never tell you how well you're doing. You know, um, he will always try to push you to your max. And for me, I've, I've always needed that. You know, I could be having the best game of my career. He'll tell me I'm still not doing enough. Um, so I think for us, this is this is the kind of person we needed. You know, to to really drive us and push us to the limit. Mike, eight goals for uh, Tammy Abraham this season. Not quite as amazing a record as he had in his first when it was 17 in uh, 37 yeah. Serie A games. But the chances still keep coming and, and he's going to be a real threat for Sevilla, isn't he? It's what he hasn't done in terms of getting on the score sheet. He's still doing in terms of hold to play, in terms of defensive work, off the ball movement, and it's creating running lanes for midfielders to score. Look at who's leading the team and leading the line underneath Tammy Abraham. Pellegrini, as I said, Paulo Dybala when he gets in, even the likes of Bove, the youngster who scored the winner in the first leg against Bayer Leverkusen. Your midfielders thrive when you have an unselfish striker in Abraham. And that comes from Jose Mourinho. He wants commitment, getting everyone committed to the cause, and you have that in Tammy Abraham. I was sort of uh, elaborating on that point. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Abraham goes up against Loic Bede. Now, Bede was a player who kind of shot to prominence in Ligue 1 uh, when he was with Rennes, moved to Lens, uh, sorry, moved from Lens to Rennes even, um, while, when he was part of that excellent Lens team that secured survival at the first time of asking coming up from Ligue 2. Uh, but it didn't quite work out for him once he made the move uh, over to, uh, to England. He's now enjoying sort of a new lease of life uh, in Spain with Sevilla, you know, as part of this kind of motley crew that, that Sevilla have put together that actually turns out to not be as bad as we maybe first thought they were when we were, uh, you know, looking at some of the those players that have been assembled. Now, I think because he's a goal threat as well, uh, you know, Bede could have quite a, a significant role to play in this because his ability... To, to kind of limit the opportunities that, that Tammy Abraham sees. Equally as well, Dybala, uh, you know, should Dybala be deployed in, in you know, a, a sort of central attacking role in front of goal? It's, uh, I, for me, I think that's going to be one of the key battles that plays out in uh, in Budapest. Yeah, I agree with you. I think his partnership between he and Goodell is one to keep an eye on. I think Goodell is the weakest link in that back line. He's naturally a defensive midfielder, and he's been forced to play in that back line. And teams that have gotten the better and gotten goals against Sevilla, whether it's in La Liga or in the Europa League, they've attacked him. He's very aggressive, both aggressive center backs. They're not very connected, and sometimes they can get isolated. The big thing to watch out for is which midfield can impose themselves. Sevilla are not going to, they're going to be without one of their key attacking options in Acuna. He got that red card in the win over Juve 
in the second leg. That's going to be a big factor because they get a lot of crosses from the left-hand side. But neither midfield is a, a very mobile. But which midfield can impose their will on their opponent, I think, gives their team the best chance to win. It's the other thing to – I mean, we have obviously, because they're such starry talent, we've obviously talked a lot about Roma's front line. I tell you, Yusuf and Nezri – in a severe shirt, as Mike Lahoudi, you can attest him having scored two goals against your beloved yeah. Manchester United and also then scoring against Juventus in the next round. He is a, a live wire. He tends to come alive in fits and bursts, but since the turn of 2023, he's found some really good form. Having said that, you know, the reason why, and we're going to come on to do the predictions, the reason why I just shade towards Roma is when you kind of look at the underlying metrics best defense in terms of expected goals allowed in Serie A this season. Can they just keep Enesri, keep an eye on him? He is the sort of player that really pounces on the mistakes of opponents. And Jose Mourinho teams are quite good at not making those mistakes. That's kind of what where I'm going to be really watching out for. But time has come to nail our colors to the mast, to make our picks. Who is going to win the Europa League final to keep their 100% record in finals going. Mike LaHood, is it AS Roma, who, by the way, only won one of their three European finals before that was that Mourinho magic sprinkled over them. Mm. Is it AS Roma or is it Sevilla? I think history is about to be made, but on the wrong side of history for Sevilla, losing their first ever Europa League final. I pick AS Roma to win, as I say, underneath my handle Roma to win and it's going to go down to the wire I think it goes all the way to penalty kicks Rio Patricio the PK hero I think Roma get the first goal Sevilla get that second and goes to penalty kicks and you know Mourinho magic once again JJ. Oh, man. Mike, Mike LaHood and I are reading from the same script pretty much I have gone for this one going beyond 90 minutes and Roma ending up 2-1 winners <sighs> I feel like if I go Roma as well, that's going to be pretty fun. much handing the title to Sevilla, isn't it? Well, I'm going Roma. I think they're a better team. I think they've got better players. And yeah. I know that Sevilla have massively swung upwards in form over the last few months and that the Europa League is theirs by right. You've got to take it from them. But I think if anyone's going to do that, it's Roma. They're a much better football team than their uh, standing in Serie A suggests. And I think we're going to see that even though anything can happen in 90 minutes. Right, that is our Europa League preview, our Europa League review. Guys, remember the time Man United lost 5-2 to Sevilla on aggregate? Just wanted to remind you all of that one final time. We'll be back after the break. We're going to talk some Pochettino and Napoli. Pochettino, Mauricio Pochettino is the new Chelsea manager. At long last, that was announced yesterday, Bank Holiday Monday here in the UK. Good time to sneak out some bad news. Is it bad news for Chelsea, Jonathan Johnson, or is it bad news for Mauricio Pochettino? Or is it good news for everyone? Uh, I'm not going to say necessarily it's good news for everyone. It's a great appointment for Chelsea, especially considering that they're out of European competition. Uh, it's a risky move from Pochettino, given that his legacy now depends uh, upon how he does at Stamford Bridge. Uh, let's face it, his time with PSG was not a success. He won't be judged uh, solely on that because of the, the high stock that, that he enjoys from his time in charge of Tottenham Hotspur, but he has forever destroyed that goodwill from the Spurs fans by taking the job uh, for Chelsea, I think. And 
it is a risk because at the end of the day, I know that there's changes afoot at Chelsea. You know, Bowley's going to be taking a step back and, you know, sort of the more football specific minds are going to be sort of taking over, uh, you know, day to day control of the, the club. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Obviously, no European football next season. That is probably actually a, a good thing. Uh, you know, for for Pochettino in terms of sort of you know getting down to, uh, you know, taking the the squad back to basics, uh, you know, because it is a hugely uh, bloated squad. Uh, and to be honest, you know, when you when you bear in mind that they've got Inkunku coming in, uh, you know, we know that they're pushing hard for Ugarte at the moment in midfield. You don't actually think, or you can't see that there's actually too much need for many other, uh, you know, mm. additions to this squad. At least not before <laughs> you get rid of some players. I think the, this Chelsea squad is in need of trimming before it is sort of, you know, adding more star name and talent to it. I, I certainly think they could do with more teeth in attack. We know that Joao Felix won't be staying at Stamford Bridge now, but uh, I feel like Pochettino has a bigger job on his hands in terms of rooting through this group of players and working out who he wants to work with, who he doesn't, uh, than he does in terms of working out, you know, how many more additional dressing rooms need to be built for extra signings. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because Stamford Bridge is like one of the most cramped grounds in England. So in COVID times, they had to shrink the press room to make way for the bigger dressing rooms. Oh, that that would have been disastrous for the buffet though. <laughs> oh God, it's an absolute disgrace. Um, but you just think, God, if they actually tried to fit all their squad in the uh, in the dressing room next season, there would be no press room. We'd just have to huddle outside. Uh, some great comments coming in from our excellent listeners and viewers. Ed, two-year deal shows how Chelsea have been badly burned by the Potter debacle. Very true and a very good point made by Ed. As, as Chelsea have been handing out these lifetime contracts, it seems, to some of their expensive young footballers, just two years for Mauricio Pochettino does reflect a little bit of caution and one wonders how much they are uh, a little bit nervous about the years to come. Vic says it's good news. Pochettino needs this challenge to become an elite coach. You are right, Vic, because I tell you, if he makes it through this challenge, no one could dispute his status as an elite coach. I think this is one of the toughest jobs there is in world football. He can't change the expectations of Chelsea fans. He can't make them embrace a rebuild, but a rebuild is exactly what's needed because the one thing I take issue with on what JJ was saying is, I look at this squad and think it needs an awful lot of work. You know, new recruits. This is a team that hasn't had a good talismanic striker since Diego Costa went AWOL under Antonio Conte. Neither of those goalkeepers, to me, are anywhere near the standard of a top four goalkeeper, no matter how much has been spent on them. I'd like to see them get better. You know, if I'm a Chelsea supporter, if I'm on the Chelsea board, I'd like to see them get a better defensive partner for Thiago Silva and the player to eventually replace Thiago Silva, JJ mentioned Agate. That's a reminder that that midfield needs a bit of youth. Mason Mank, he's going to need replacing. And then you're getting rid of an awful lot of players. I mean, the one I would point out is just look at that log jam on the left flank. Let's assume Pulisic goes. Let's assume Aubameyang goes. You still have Mikhailo Mudrik. You still have uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi. You still have Raheem Sterling. You still have maybe Kai Havertz. Oh, and you're getting Christoph and Kunku. Um, our producer Des has said in our question there, can Poch get him, get them back into the top four? <laughs> can Poch get them back in the top half, Mike Lahoud? <laughs> I think in the top half, I think it's going to be very dependent on if they get a striker and if they can get rid of Kai Havertz. This is a player that, a couple of years ago, scored the game-winning goal under Thomas Tuchel in the Champions League final, but has been on borrowed time. I think if they trim the fat on some of these players that you've named, their biggest 
transfer policy to be getting a number nine in the Premier League. If you do not have a number nine that gets you goals in tough games against the top six or seven teams, you will not be able to compete. Look at some of the teams that are in that position. They found ways to compete and stay competitive, but you have to score goals. You can't draw your way to a top four or top five finish in the Premier League. And just to say on that regard, I believe Chelsea went this season without any player making double figures in goals. The first time that's happened in, I think, over 40 years. And considering the number of games they were playing, including Champions League, that is an impressive achievement. Right, one final bit of managerial coming, in this case going, to discuss Luciano Spalletti has left Napoli just to take a little break. Oh, I believe Gary Re- Neville right, might refer to as a maxi retirement. Uh, he does love his mini retirements, doesn't he? Which uh, seems to involve the weekend. Um, Mike, mm. you know, I mean, you've you've kind of gone through not a managerial career, but a playing career. Um, you must have surely on occasions have wanted to take some some time out just to to reflect and enjoy things. Is it surprising that that more people don't follow Spalletti's approach and, and Pep Guardiola's approach and just give themselves time to to think and enjoy life. I think so. When you look at what Spalletti has done, miracle season for Napoli, historical season for them, I think that there's a strategic move in this because you're going to get jobs galore coming your way. And I just wonder if it's time to take a breather before he decides what he's going to do next. When you have a job like you did with Napoli, there's going to be so much pressure to do it again, to defend the title. Can you take that extra step in the Champions League? And this squad is going to get picked apart left and right this summer. If not this summer, then the following summer. I think Spalletti is wise. I think more managers to do, should do this because it helps you give a ref- per- oh, I can't talk refreshed perspective on what your next goal and challenge is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, uh, you know, Spalletti was quite honest uh, about it you know the it, it, I think it reflects exactly how much effort it's taken to get this third uh, Scudetto over the line for Napoli uh, you know it's been uh, a very labor intensive couple of years for him in Naples uh, and, and that drains you massively and realistically you know can we we were talking earlier about sort of Italian clubs chances of going far in Europe again next season can we see Napoli sort of making it through this summer without some of the star names perhaps at least being you know tempted away by or having their heads turned by some offers from bigger clubs United. it's it's difficult and you know for me to imagine Napoli sort of having as good a chance uh, next season as they did uh, you know this this one just ending to 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 go and make it all the way to a Champions League final i i I struggle to to see it. So I think I can understand where Spalletti's coming from because realistically, sort of now you're entering this phase with, with Napoli as Italian champions. You almost need somebody who can potentially come in and maybe lead that next sort of, at least sort of two to four year period, uh, you know, where you try and sustain, uh, you know, being Italian champions, try to become that dominant force like Juve have been before, like Inter have been, like Milan as well. Uh, And it's going to be really difficult. Uh, And I don't think, uh, you know, it's necessarily anything to take away from Spalletti uh, about if he feels like he's not going to be able to invest sort of, you know, what's necessary in terms of, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, um, so, you know, I think he's making the right decision. He got leaves on a high because I'm not convinced it's going to be the easiest act to follow. Rafa Cardenas in the comments, Napoli won't repeat this season. Spalletti knew it. Wise decision to leave on a high. 
Good luck to whoever takes over. And in terms of the managers being linked with taking over, Thiago Motta, who JJ, as you well know, has done great things since retiring. Uh, Luis Enrique, he sounds like he's the front runner. And we're we're hearing about Antonio Conte being linked as well. Now, if, there, if ever there's a manager who has given the impression he could just really do with a little bit of a break, not taking things quite so seriously, enjoy some Prosecco, Antonio. <laughs> that's what I would say. Don't. Don't be diving feet first into uh, trying to follow Luciano Spalletti. I'm fascinated as to uh, where, and this might be maybe the question we li- leave it on. I'm fascinated as to where Spalletti might land next. He's had one spell outside Italy with, with Zenit St. Petersburg, five years, five pretty successful years when Zenit were one of the richest clubs in, in all Europe. Um, beyond that, he's re- he's achieved great things at Roma, even if that didn't always turn back to titles. His team with the false nine of Francesco Totti was one of the most intriguing in their era in uh, in Italy and then in Europe. And, and now he's the same with this Napoli team that we've all fallen in love with here on House of Champions and beyond. JJ first and then Mike. What should Spalletti, where would you like to see Spalletti land next and which Premier League club exactly is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I am curious to see where Spalletti goes next because he's almost done the tour of the the big Italian clubs possible for, for for him to go to. So you do wonder if maybe there is uh, another sort of uh, unexpected destination that, that could come for him next. I do believe that he intends to take a year out based on the the comments he gave on Monday, which is quite interesting. I think as well, uh, De Laurentiis has hinted that despite the fact that discussions took place with Luis Enrique. It sounds like Enrique would prefer a Premier League move. Uh, Also, one other thing to add on that. The last time Conte followed Spalletti, he did end Inter's wait for a Serie A title. So maybe there is a little bit of logic to Conte following in uh, Spalletti's footsteps because it's something that they've done before. But in terms of Spalletti, I don't think that he'll be rushed I don't think he'll be short of suitors. I think there'll be a number of clubs who, you know, who really fancy him. But as much as much as I would love to imagine him in the Premier League, I'm not sure I could see it. I think he might he might be tempted to go somewhere a bit further afield. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's one of the big names that would be tempted by Saudi Arabia, despite the fact I'm sure that there would be some very lucrative offers proposed to him. It's no, it's a it's a curious one. I mean, Russia obviously that option is completely off the table, uh, you know, these days, and there's no sort of equivalent, uh, you know, posting to that. Uh, but then again, you know, you look at what Deserbi has managed to do, uh, you know, sort of treading a similar kind of Eastern Europe, and then, uh, you know, coming to the Premier League uh, route. Maybe that's it. that is something that Spalletti would look at and consider. When I look at Spalletti, and we've talked about the circuit that he's done in Italy, there's two clubs that remain, and there's two clubs to keep an eye on. AC Milan, young team. Pioli's done amazing with them. Pressure on Pioli now to get that team back to the Scudetto title and get that team over the hump in the Champions League. And I just wonder, should something happen with Pioli, if Spalletti, the timing of it, if his phone doesn't ring off, and the melee that is Juventus. There will be major overhaul in Turin over the next year or two. I wonder, once the the, the tides settle, if that's a club that he doesn't get poached by. So those are my two teams to keep an eye on. For uh, I've got two, two fun ones, one of which I am stealing from Rafa Cardenas, uh, although I will insist I'd thought of it before. But um, first of all, club level, 
you know, let's assume he does take the full year out and enjoys it. I mean, I don't think Barcelona at the moment would be in any rush to get rid of Xavi, but I would love to see Spalletti with something like the Barcelona team we expect to have in the coming years. I think he could play really interesting football that fits the Barcelona model. But the other one, and, and kudos, Rafa, I thought this was the obvious answer, or the correct answer as well. Come 2024, Roberto Mancini will have uh, may well have, have feel like his time at the Azzurri is up. I would love to see Luciano Spalletti take the helm there. That would be fantastic. We wish him the best and we wish all of you the best. And we're very grateful to you all for joining us here on House of Champions. Europa League final coming up tomorrow night. I can hardly wait. Thank you so much for listening. And please do take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favourite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to your podcast, we're there. We're also available on video, on YouTube. Do please subscribe to us there. Mike LaHood, Jonathan Johnson, thanks so much for joining me. And we will be back later in the week to talk all things transfers, Europa League final, Champions League final. There's so much to talk about on House of Champions. We'll see you very soon. Bye-bye.